Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Today is August 31st, 2022, at the time of the recording. Thank you so much for your support and tuning into our channel. This is Generation Z, Unleashing the Kraken. Today's Kraken report has the underlying theme of changing of the guards and skeletons in the closet. And the sequence of articles that I'll be reviewing today are grouped in the categories of, first up, we've got NASA and the moon. Then we've got sextortion, which trigger warning, that might be a little disturbing for some of our audience. Then we go to Canadian politics. Then there's some toilet paper scandals, uh, deja vu. There's some ancient symbolism perversion, uh, climate engineering. We're going to go to South Korea. And then we're ending the today's segment with about 13 articles looking at Russia, the European Union, and Ukraine. So that's what we're going to end on today. So if you're tired of listening to that stuff, then once I finish up with South Korea, that's your cue. Feel free to just kind of stop paying attention or do whatever you want. But hopefully you tune into this whole segment because I do find it very fascinating and I think this is going to be a good one. So without further ado, let's get to it. And I'm just going to share my screen as always. Oops, wrong one. Okay, let's get to it. Where are we here? Okay, so thank you for that. First up, <laughs> we have NASA is heading back to the moon and Canada's coming too. This is from August 27th. So on Monday, uh, uh, they say that it's supposed to be for this Monday, a rocket will be blasting off to orbit around the moon. Um, and they say that in under a decade, scientists hope to have developed a space station called the Lunar Gateway to serve as a stepping stone for travel to Mars and beyond. And Canada is developing a rover to explore the moon's surface. The idea is to set up a base camp on the surface of the moon with an orbiting space station that will orbit the moon. That will allow scientists to do research and learn things from the moon in the hope that we continue to expand out into the nether regions of the universe and move towards putting up colonies in places like Mars. We have an opportunity to learn how to do that while we're relatively close to home. Okay, sure, on the surface level, this is, this is good. Nice progress, I suppose. I'll try not to let my uh, own biases get in the way here of really not believing much of anything that comes out of NASA. But, oh, next story. Launch of NASA's Artemis 1 moon rocket delayed by engine cooling problem, a valve glitch. Shucks, that is too bad. So two days later on August 29th, after months of tests, troubleshooting, and repairs, engineers fueled the space launch system moon rocket for blastoff. Monday on NASA's long-overdue Artemis 1 test flight, which is a mission to send unpiloted Orion crew capsule on a 42-mission day, on a 42-day mission be beyond the moon and back. But after working through a weather delay, a brief hydrogen leak, trouble cooling one of the rocket's four main engines, and problems with a bulky valve, managers called off the countdown. So those are their explanations for why they couldn't get the launch off. I didn't watch it, so I'm not sure. I'm obviously curious about were there any UFO sightings around there? Was this sabotage? Was this really them just 
not wanting to go? Is it uh, uh, to do with the uh, how there's basically a race between China and the U.S. to get to the South Pole of the moon? And maybe NASA has been paid off to allow the CCP's program to get there first without any conflict. I don't really know. But somebody that does have quite the opinion is this YouTube account, The Angry Astronaut. And I'm just going to read you. I watched their video yesterday because I was curious on what's going on. And I'm just going to read you their their uh, explanation of what happened. So he says, at first, I didn't want to make a video about the Artemis One scrub. Everyone expects a scrub on the first attempt. However, after learning about the series of avoidable errors that led to the scrub and the sheer arrogance of those who still support the SLS, it was clear that a rant was in order. And Dr. Derek Pitts was especially condescending. This kind of behavior isn't going to make NASA any friends. So just the, here's the link. Uh, here's the YouTube account video, Artemis One Scrub and the Arrogance of People Like Dr. Derek Pitts. I recommend tuning into this. It was pretty funny and, you know, sobering. Um, but yeah, uh, so who knows what's really going on there. I'm a proponent of the secret space program and... Uh, if you go to our Patreon account, I have done hours of research of open source information into explaining the background of NASA, who they were before they were NASA, from the specific individuals of a certain country that came over through a certain program. And then there's also the uh, NACA, the Aeronautical uh, and yeah, the National Aeronautical something association. So before they went to space, they were just flying. And we really laid the foundation for understanding where NASA is now. But that's for the Patreon members. Maybe we'll do some of that publicly, but not for this Kraken right now. Next up, we have Mikhail Gorbachev, Soviet leader who ended the Cold War dead at 91. Forged partnerships with the West to remove Iron Curtain, but failed to prevent collapse of Soviet Union. So I know that I said we're doing Russia at the end of the segment, but this is just out of respect. This is important. This is very uh, changing of the guards-esque. And yeah, I wasn't alive at the time when this is going on, but there's a lot of stuff we can say about the Iron Curtain, the USSR, and the areas that we should, that I'm actually most interested in is the uh, agreements that the USSR had with aliens, extraterrestrials. And that is a very fun topic to go down. The, and as well as the torsion field physics side of Russian physics and, and the Tartarian history and all that. So Russia itself is a very fun deep dive to get into. But simply with this, we're just saying, you know, rest in peace. Thank you for what you did here. And yes, uh, on to the next one. So now here we're doing Canada for a little bit. Christia Freeland is the latest target of public threats, intimidation against women in Canadian politics. Because apparently some journalists have been sharing emails detailing disturbing threats. This is from CBC on the 27th of August. And so they, they're saying that for weeks, groups of journalists, particularly journal journalists of color, have publicly shared a series of private anonymous emails they've received. Those emails contain specific targeted and disturbing threats of violence and sexual assault, as, as well as racist and misogynistic language. So, of course, uh, nobody, uh, like, I don't support 
uh, bullying, harassment, name calling, any of that stuff. I don't think it's appropriate. However, I can't help but notice a trend that the citizens are upset and the politicians are being targeted. Maybe because the politicians are making decisions that the citizens are not happy with. And it'll be interesting to see how this narrative is going to be used to maybe push stuff about online censorship, journalistic censorship. Uh, rem if you were paying attention to the United Kingdom, where there were politicians, one politician actually got killed. And then they immediately increased security and defense for the politicians, almost like to create further of a, a of a divide between the politicians and their elite status and the, the plebs, the citizens. But of course, let's just keep in mind what happens. They very well might pass new legislation or this might give them more fuel to the fire of pushing legislation that they're already trying to push. But of course... We don't. We want to be as peaceful as we can with all of this. We don't want to be name calling. However, obviously, people have to be held accountable, and telling the truth about what somebody has done should not constitute as harassment. But of course, if you're using certain language, then yeah, sure, you're you're projecting vitriol, and we never we don't want to fight fire with fire. Now, uh, actually, uh, next up for the Canadian. <laughs> This is a big one. PM Trudeau could face subpoena to testify at residential school reparations trial. Over half of all recognized First Nations part of a class action seeking reparations. Ooh, ooh, this is good. I am excited for this one. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau could face a subpoena to testify as a witness during a trial scheduled to begin this month for a class action lawsuit against reparations for the cultural devastation wreaked by residential schools, court records show. Lawyers representing 325 First Nations, more than half of all recognized First Nations in the country, are seeking to subpoena Trudeau and Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller to take witness stand via Zoom and face questions on the sincerity of residential school-related statements they've made in the past. Like, absolutely. Oh, boy. Um, Of course, justice the Justice of Canada is opposing the subpoenas, but in my humble opinion, I, I firmly stand with the Indigenous people, and whether you think that this is controlled opposition or a psychological operation, the reality of what the Canadian government and the Catholic school and the Vatican did to Indigenous people of Canada uh, or Turtle Island, absolutely inexcusable. And as this article says, Canada needs to bear the burden. Of course, I'm not talking about white guilt, where you just feel you know, you feel guilty for being white and having white privilege and all that stuff. But no, actually having legitimate, tangible solutions to uh, for for the reparations. And honestly, Justin Trudeau has been completely insincere in everything that he says. There's just compilations of him apologizing, and it doesn't mean anything. So I really, you know, I really hope that this this goes through, and we'll see how this. Uh, huh, Jim Carrey lookalike from Dumb and Dumber uh, handles himself in the test of testifying.
Yeah, so I get a little fired up. I am Canadian, so I've I've had a lot of issues with Trudeau, obviously, and how he's been handling all of the, the pandemic and even before that and, and the constant lies. And yeah, anyway, on to the next one. Now, this is a little mind-blowing, too, for a different reason, though. First, first of two articles in this little mini-series. First up, from RT News, Finnish firm warns of toilet paper shortage. Energy costs continue to hold back production, says Metsa Tissue. So soaring energy costs ac across the EU are causing temporary shortages at uh, production sites. Okay, so where did we hear this one before? Wasn't this at the beginning of the pandemic, the whole toilet paper shortage? Mm. Okay. Oh, Germans warned of toilet paper shortage. The energy crisis could severely affect production, an industry body warns. The crisis on the European gas market could lead to reduced production of toilet paper in Germany, according to Martin Krangau, chairman of the nation's Paper Industry Association. We are particularly dependent on gas for the production of tissue paper. Without it, we will no longer be able to provide security or supply. Well, do we really... <laughs> Do we really need toilet paper to begin with? Doesn't more than half the world not use toilet paper and they just wash themselves with water and their their hand? That may be jarring for some of us, but that is the reality. So this is hilarious. But something that's not hilarious. Now, these next three articles, they uh, cause some trigger warning, just letting you know that it deals with sensitive material. Um, and the first of them is Donald Trump bragged he had intel on Emmanuel Macron's sex life from a report. This is on the New York Post as of today, the day that I'm recording this. He apparently has repeatedly bragged about knowing illicit details of French President Emmanuel Macron's sex life. The news comes out after it's been revealed that among the documents seized by FBI agents at Tamara Lago earlier this month, one was labeled item 1A, which was listed as info regarding President of France. The contents of this confiscated document are unknown at this time, but two sources familiar with the matter told the Rolling Stones that Macron's personal life has been the subject of intense fascination for the U.S. president over the years. Now, isn't that an interesting twist? What if uh, what if the raid and the information that Donald Trump had was actually related to the private sex lives of, of elites all over the world? Maxwell, Epstein... Whoa, so there's an angle that I know that I was re recommending that it could be related to the UFO subject, but hey, it could be related to the UFO subject, but it also very well could be that he actually took documents that were about the sex lives of other elite politicians and he's using it as leverage. So we'll see what goes on there. Okay, now uh, back to Canada, I, I skipped... Oh, I, I skipped two, but that's all right. Freedom Convoy organizers Tamara Leach and Chris Barber are set to face trial in September 2023. The proceeding expected to last about 16 days. Now, I'm going to do a deep dive on the whole Freedom Convoy subject because I was paying close attention to it. That's probably going to be my next deep dive. Um, so we won't get into it too long here, but the pair are accused of mischief obstructing police, and counseling others to commit mischief and intimidation. 
Barber was released on bail the following day while Litch remained in custody. She was denied bail but sought a review of that decision and was granted bail in early March. And yeah, this was a very fascinating one, the whole situation, because I was paying deep attention to the alternative news and all these telegram chats and seeing what's happened. And this was a situation where, from my humble perspective, there's absolute government infiltration and there were grassroots authentic organizers that got set up. And I'm not saying the whole thing was a psyop, but absolutely there was uh, individuals, two other be it, two other people that aren't named in this article that I will be bringing up in future articles are not in jail, even though they were two, four of the main or there were four main organizers of this whole thing. But this is an interesting one. And yeah, I think that that'll be my next deep dive. Next up, we have Ontario's COVID-19 science advisory table to dissolve next month. The dissolution comes as the pandemic continues, group says. Uh, so we're not going to get much further into it other than just saying that this science advisory table, which is a key group of independent experts in the province's response to the ongoing pandemic, confirmed Friday of last week that they will be dissolved early next month after more than two years. Well, the timing of that is fascinating with Doug Ford, the Premier of Ontario, winning the election. And it seems like that individual, Doug Ford, actually didn't really like doing what he had to do as the Premier of Ontario. Now, if we have certain if we have audience members from Ontario, that can provide some more insight into the whole situation. But it seems like him dissolving the science board is a step towards saying, hey, uh, he objects to the globalist world order of using science to justify lockdowns and restrictions and all that stuff. So for me personally, I think this is a good idea. And I know that that may face backlash, but clearly the experts were wrong on nearly everything. And I'm sorry to say that, but yeah. Next up, we have the U.S. life expectancy plunged again in 2021, down nearly a year. The CDC is the source of this one. So the CV-19 blamed for about half of life expectancy decline, followed by heart disease, drug overdoses, and suicide. And like this is one of those ones that's going to be a very harsh reality for a lot of people, where the life expectancy fell for the second year in a row, which they're saying is driven by COVID-19 deaths, according to data from the U.S. CDC. And in the first two years of the CV-19 pandemic, the estimated American lifespan had shortened by nearly three years. That's, that is drastic. Now, I'm not going to get into any of the stuff of the nuances, but I feel like it is time, based on uh, Alex Berenson winning his Twitter battle where he got kicked off of Twitter for reporting the facts about CV-19 deaths, hospitalizations, all that stuff, and the, the data that they're telling us, and he got banned, and then he won, and he's actually going to be suing the White House. Um, there's other people that also got kicked off for talking about certain things on this topic that uh, it was disinformation this whole time, but this is going to be a reality of like, will the deaths continue 
after everybody's already been already had their volunteer medical uh, injections that have that were supposed to have saved them well you know that's yeah we will see we will see what happens there next up now this this was supposed to be connected to the trump story so that's why i should have put these two together with trump having alleged intel on macron's sex life here we have madonna calls her sex calls sex her obsession and explains why she regrets both marriages and before we get into it we know that madonna is kind of a uh, an icon for the ruling elite putting their messages out in music uh, through various symbolism, uh, messages in their music, her own outfits, uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of stuff. So it's really no surprise that she candidly admitted she regrets both of her marriages, but has found solace with a sex obsession. When asked a YouTube video post, when asked in a YouTube video posted on Tuesday, what decision in her life wasn't the best ideal for the material girl who is now 64, quipped, getting married both times. Uh, she admits that sex is not only her favorite guilty pleasure, but also her current obsession. So this is an interesting one because let's just bring up that video of um, Megan Fox and I think her partner, ooh, I don't want to misquote it, but Machine Gun Kelly. And she talks about how she drank his blood and it was a normal thing. Well, to me, that is what this reminds me of. And it's almost like the reality of a lot of these the the sex abuse topic is becoming more and more wide widely known whether it's from hockey canada to uh nfl players to politicians to just very disturbing stuff of human trafficking it's like that topic is you know it's going from this taboo yet simultaneously objectification thing that's being thrown in our faces all the time to now it's like oh shit there's actually a lot of really dark stuff that's going on not that sex is bad but there's for sure an aspect of uh black magic and and sorcery that uses sexual rituals for their own agendas and this is the story that just uh warning if you've got kids in the area i'm going to give you about uh, 10 seconds to just Remove them because this is a very disturbing one. Okay, so hopefully that there are no children in the room for this. Uh, pedophile throat slash. Man slashes his throat after being confronted by pedophile hunters before being arrested on suspicion of grooming child. This is from The Sun in the United Kingdom, August 27th. The 55-year-old was rushed to the hospital before being arrested by cops on suspicion of grooming a child under 14 and possession of a bladed article. Oof. Oh, like, I'm sorry that we're reporting on this, but uh, this is just, we're definitely not going to show you any images. We're not going to go deeper into it, but he was a 55-year-old, which that number is significant with the uh, pentagram and, and all that. I think, ooh, yeah, I think that that's five. Pentahex, yeah, okay. Um, And that's really all this article is. And just, you know, we know that the sun isn't the most reliable, but 
oof, this is a, yeah, that's a disturbing one. Now on to the next one. This is where we get into the uh, Im uh, symbolism, inversion, and perversion. Swastika Mountain's new name is set to honor Indigenous leader instead of evoking Nazi history. This is from August 25th, CBC News. A bid to honor Chief Halo Halito submitted to Oregon Geographic Names Board. Okay, so the article says, when two 19-year-old hikers disappeared on Swastika Mountain earlier this year, a modest but in a remote part of Oregon, ended up rising to prominence due to its offensive name. Butty, but, booty. Oops, I should have looked at the phonetics. But after their disappearance, the Oregon Geographic Names Board received three, three requests to change the name on the 1,219 meter high or 4,000 peak found south of Eugene, Oregon to something not associated with Germany's Nazi party. Fair enough, and that's... I guess, fair enough, yeah. I mean, that's very ominous that it's Swastika Mountain where these hikers lost. But what is important to note here is that the swastika has had different meanings. And this is CBC News. This is legit mainstream news talking about this. That um, So it is believed a cattle rancher in the area named Clayton Burton branded his stock with a swastika decades before Nazi Germany's use of the symbol, which led to it being equated with fascism and hate. Before the Second World War, the swastika symbol had different connotations, some even associated with good luck. Here we have an image on the left, which is the swastika, which was used in Hindu, Buddhist, and Jain traditions for centuries. Then you have the Hakenkreutz, on the right, which is an adaption used by the Hitler's Nazi party. The original Indian language of Sanskrit called the swastika, meaning that it was it meant well-being. And so this is just an example where in some countries in Europe, you're not allowed to talk about the swastika. It just straight up represents hate and vitriol. But when you go Earlier in history, you will see that it has nothing to do with Germany. It has nothing to do with the National Socialists. And I know that this is a very taboo subject, and we're not going to go deeper into it here, but it's good, I think, that they're reflecting the, the name to make it more relevant to the area where the mountain exists. But makes me wonder why they called it Swastika Mountain to begin with. Is it? Could it be that, oh, let's just see. So Fisher found out that there was a U.S. post office with the same name, as well as a bid to start a name town nearby between 1909 and 1912. So 1909 to 1912 is when they were calling it that. Uh, but here, ooh, here they have, at one point in 1930s, swastikas were used to market everything from fruit and beer to Coca-Cola. And the symbol was found in the Boy Scouts material. So just a lot of conflicting ideologies and messaging about that, but just a little bit of history there is that it it is not from Germany and it does not inherently mean hate. And just here's another article from CBC specifically saying ancient peace symbol now tied to racism draws debate over proposed federal ban on hate emblems from May 22, 2022. 
the ancient swastika and Nazi hooked cross are often mistaken for one another. Okay, so remember the Freedom Convoy. This is part of the deep dive that I wanted to get into, is that uh, that the Canadian government tried to say that there was a swastika cited at the Freedom Convoy, which gave them the motivation and justification to say that the Freedom Convoy was a bunch of hate-filled racists and misogynists because there is a swastika cited there. But was it, A, was it actually people that were pushing a national socialist ideology of right-wing supremacy? And B, were they supporting a peace-filled uh, message by displaying a symbol that is actually predating the national socialists? And was it even an authentic sighting at all? And was the sighting even made by somebody that wasn't Trudeau's personal uh, photographer? Because that's its own aspect of that whole thing. But anyway, I know it's a heated topic. I'm going to stop there. Just trying to pre uh, present multiple angles to the story. And now we're on to the uh, this is the weather segment or the geoengineering of our climate uh, side of things. From today, August 31st, there have been no named hurricanes so far this summer. Here's why. Having no hurricane power powerful enough to get a name this late in August is rare. Really? So there are not as many hurricanes this year as in previous years, yet climate change, climate change, disaster, natural disasters, etc. But however, the the meteorologists are saying, don't let it fool you that this is that the hurricane season is off to a quieter start than usual. It's only this has only happened twice since 1960, where there are no named hurricanes by this year. And of course, they say climate change may be a factor. But just Keep in mind the researcher Dutch Sense, who we uh, recently learned about on this channel, which we'll be getting into contact with and and, and uh, exploring more of their videos, being able to show apparently hurricanes being started by DEWs. Now that's a very interesting thing, and that's all we're going to say here. But to, on to the next story. UN Weather Agency predicts a rare triple dip in La Nina in 2022. And her, the cooling effect of La Nina, uh, their effect on the planet, did not stop 2021 from being one of the seven hottest years on record. The UN Weather Agency predicts the phenomenon known as La Nina is po poised to last through the end of this year, a mysterious triple dip. The first this century caused by three straight years of its effect on climate patterns such as drought and flooding worldwide. Simultaneously, drought and flooding worldwide. So is that just half the planet is totally in drought and half the planet is completely flooding? Or like, how, how does that work? But the World Meteorological Organization on Wednesday said La Nina conditions, which involve a large-scale cooling of ocean surface temperatures, have strengthened in the eastern and central equatorial Pacific with an increase in trade winds in recent weeks. And the El Nino is the opposite phenomenon, which is associated with warming in parts of the world. So... The World Meteorological Association Secretary General, Pateri Talas, says it is exceptional to have three consecutive years with a La Nina event. Talas was quick to caution that the triple dip of cooling does not mean global warming is easing. 
So they're literally saying that things are getting cooler over the past three years. Yet, it's all about like, it's just the narrative, just it doesn't, it doesn't substantiate when you start to poke holes in it. This doesn't, it doesn't hold up. Remind you that two Krakens ago, we looked at the scientists that have openly wrote, written a letter saying there is no climate crisis. It is not a man-made climate crisis. 1,100 experts from around the world pushed and, and, uh, and published this. Yeah, and, and just another thing to bring up before we move on here. When they say that it, the, on record, they talk about anything on record, well, how old is their record? In, in these cases, I believe it's about 150 years of keeping track of climatary phenomena. Well, 150 years in the scope of Earth... Whatever you think we're living on, whether it's a ball floating in space or a stationary dome or a stationary plane with a dome, whatever the case, it's it's at least, at the very least, 6,000 to 8,000 years, right? But with dinosaurs, that went extinct 66 million years ago. So when we think about the cycles of climate, how long, 150 years is is nothing. It is It is really nothing on the scale of how old the Earth is. So that's just when they talk about on records and they try to keep us in this goldfish mentality of oh, like e economically speaking too. same parallel. Oh, we're we've improved over last month. We've improved over the last quarter. But what about three years ago? What about five years ago? Like the CDC admitting that the age that the health is declining, the mortality rate where Americans are dying three years sooner compared to three years ago than they were before. Obviously, though, like the expectancy, the lifespan has dramatically increased from the medieval ages. So thank you, modern science and, and just basic sanitation and all that stuff. But we don't really think about things in those long term, uh, long term mentalities. Continuing on, uh, we have this is unfortunate here. Pakistan's deadly floods have created a massive 100-kilometer-wide inland lake, satellite images show. Striking new satellite images that reveal the extent of Pakistan's record flooding show how an overflowing Indus River has turned part of Sindh province to a 100-kilometer-wide inland lake. And swaths of the country are now underwater after what United Nations officials have described as a monsoon on steroids which brought the heaviest rainfall in living memory and flooded that has killed 1,162 people and has affected 33 million since mid-June. A monsoon on steroids. So on one hand, no hurricanes, okay? But on the other hand, monsoon on steroids. So I see what they mean now. We're just, we're, we're providing both sides of it. And here is an image of that satellite uh, of that Sindh province taken on August 28th. So this is the worst flooding in Pakistan's history. I hope you guys get the relief and good luck. This is this is a little scary, not going to lie. Next up, uh, we have from August 30th. The headline says, today it's Pakistan. Tomorrow it could be your country. UN chief says in an appeal for $100 million U.S. flood aid. Um, that's a bit of a dire warning. That's pretty uh, direct. Um, 
It does make me think of you will owe nothing and be happy. Today it's Pakistan, tomorrow it's you. It's like, is that a veiled threat? Or is that like, I guess it is threatening the same way that Greta Thunberg does her threats of beating the drum, but here they're actually getting affected as far as we're being told by the reports. And I'm not there on the ground, so I'm not seeing for myself. I don't know anybody. I could reach out. Actually, I do know some people that are from Pakistan, and I'm. this is something that is hard to believe would be uh would be staged like how how uh at the very least it would be deliberately created as they say here ground zero for global warming this is ground zero for global warming so does that mean that it's officially beginning the uh uh the uh, we've already seen states of emergencies all over from flooding and from droughts so just watch out for global states of emergencies. Okay, so that's uh, we're done with that one. Now we're going on to, we got some South Korea, and then we're going to zoom through the Russia segment to finish through. And there's, there's a lot there, but they're pretty similar and connected, so it won't take us very long. But just to do some uh, Korea coverage of the southern area of that peninsula, First Ladies Fan Club faces mounting pressure to shut down. These are from the Korea Times. A fan club of First Lady Kim Kyon-hee has been facing growing pressure from politicians to be closed down. Such calls call call uh, such calls came from within the ruling power party. Let me re wow, sorry. Such calls came from within the ruling People Power Party, the PPP, after the fan club became mired in yet another controversy involving leaks of confidential information about President Yoon Suk-yeol's schedule. So this could be that they're just overly zealous about their fandom for the leader and they wanted to share where she's going. Obviously, yeah, they're not going to want people to know intelligence agents, all the, you know, their potential adversaries. They're not going to want them to know uh, about the whereabouts of the president and all that. But on to the next one. Singer size company under probe over death of water concert worker, an artist management company established by world famous singer Psy, you know, Gangnam style. He has come under investigation by the labor ministry over the death of an outsourced worker during the dismantling of facilities after a Psy concert. Wow. The ministry's Gangwon province branch office began a raid on Psy P nation's head office in Southern Seoul and its subcontractors around 9 30 AM. This is pretty significant. I wonder what's going to come of this. And there's there could be all these different angles for why they're even doing this. Like, yeah, sure, this is probably a legitimate actually thing that happened, but it could also be justification for maybe there's other reasons why they wanted to conduct a raid on P Nation. And you never know. Maybe he's involved in the uh, Panama Papers or some offshore bank account, stuff like that. Now, here we have Korea's new COVID-19 cases are under 90,000 critical patients rise. The country added 885,000 new infections, including 360 from overseas, bringing the total caseload to 22.9 million. So the country has reported now 70 new deaths, bringing the death toll to 26.5 thousand. And just bringing this up because you know we're we're deep into the 
voluntary medical injection campaign. And yet, look at this. So, yeah. And on the final one of the Korea news, ruling party to form new emergency committee after interim leader's duty suspension. Members of the ruling People Power Party decided Saturday to form a new emergency leadership committee following a court ruling that suspended interim leader Ju Ho-young from duty. The decision was made during an hours-long crisis meeting held earlier in the day, one day after the Seoul Southern District Court granted an injunction requested by ousted PPP leader Lee Jun-suk, citing a procedural error with the transition. Now, remember, uh, oh, actually, let's just, before that, in early July, says the article, the party suspended Lee's membership for the six months over allegations of sexual bribery and an attempted cover-up. Hmm. So on the note of sextortion and blackmail and having intel on the sex private lives of certain polit politicians, here we have from South Korea. And here they have an emergency committee. Now, does this mean that they will pass a emergency legislation to create new laws? Well, we'll keep uh, tabs on what goes on here. And curious to see, because we know that South Korea has also been under scrutiny from uh, many from a few years ago, about three or four, about the deep state of South Korea involved with uh, Samsung and their uh, corporations paying off the top level of the government and created a whole the entire South Korean government resigned. Okay, we covered that. So we covered that. We covered that. And next up, now here we have the 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 final stretch of our whole uh, series. So if you're tired of listening to all the Russia stuff, you, you just don't want to hear any of it, well, feel free to tune off. But thank you for staying with us. And we're going we're gonna to breeze through these articles. So the first one is, South Africa state may join Russia's MIR payment system, says the envoy. The Angolan ambassador to Russia says national currencies will be used for mutual settlements. And the... So... In one of my episodes of Dose of Reality on the Patreon, I did a I did three hours looking at the macro financial institutions, specifically that the BRICS Alliance has, which is Russia's new payment system and China's new payment system, comparing it to the SWIFT payment system, which was the first thing that the United States said they're going to post sanctions against Russia. They're going to say that, okay, you're not allowed to use the global payment system. Ha ha, joke's on you. But turns out that the BRICS Alliance already had payment systems set up in place, anticipating that they were going to be removed from the Western-created financial payment systems. And the Russians, uh, the one from Russia is called MIR. And here we have Angola saying that they want to join it. And what we're going to say, uh, just Russia started developing its own national payment system when the U.S. targeted it with sanctions in 2014. Back then, clients of several Russian banks were temporarily unable to use Visa and MasterCard due to the restrictions. Now, India says earlier this month that their ATM may start accepting Russian MIR debit and credit cards. And since the introduction of the new system, Russian banks have already been issuing more than 129 million MIR cards. They are currently accepted in Turkey, Vietnam, Armenia, South Korea, Uzbekistan, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, South Ossetia, and Ab. Abkhazia. I've never heard of South Ossetia and Abkhazia. I will have to look those up. I don't know where those are. On to the next one. 
The headline says, A Vile, Cruel Crime, How Daria Dugina, Daughter of Philosopher Alexander, Died and What It Means for Russia. Russia was shocked by the brutal murder and the FSB believes Ukraine is responsible. This is from RT News. So yes, clearly they're going to spin saying that Ukraine is responsible. And RT explains why the death of Dugina may become a symbol of Russia's external political struggle and what the Kremlin will do next. It was an attack on family of philosophers. So the father of this woman that was killed in a car bombing uh, attack was known as the brain of Putin. And you're not really allowed to talk about him. You get censored. So it's interesting to see that his daughter was killed. Now, if that's not a sign of intel warfare, then I don't know what is. But let's just read this part from the article. Who killed Daria Dugina? On Monday, two days after the terrorist attack, the FSB security agency announced it had solved the crime and blamed the special services of Ukraine. According to the FSB, the assassination was organized by Natalia Volfk, a Ukrainian citizen who came to Russia from Ukraine along with her teenage daughter, Sofia Shaban, in early 2022. Some sources claim that Volfk once served in the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion. After the explosion, Volfk and her daughter left Russia and entered Estonia through Poskov region. Of course, the Ukraine uh, Ukraine denies it, claiming that's propaganda. Right. Well, here's an article from August 26th. The Peacemaker of Death. This Ukrainian website threatens hundreds of thousands with extrajudicial killings. Some are Americans. Now, this is, uh, yeah, this has been circulating for quite some time in the alternative media uh, scene of things, where... This Miro Tavoretz, which compiles lists of enemies of Ukraine, have been operating with impunity for eight years. Uh, for the last eight years, a group of publicly unknown activists in Ukraine have been compiling lists of enemies of the people with impunity. Hundreds of thousands have been declared criminals without trial. This is happening in Ukraine. Among them are not only Russian citizens, but also Ukrainian opposition's figures and bloggers, European politicians, and U.S. citizens. At the very least, being added to this list is a stigma that makes life difficult in Ukraine. And it's actually very dangerous to even be reporting on this. I know of boots-on-the-ground journalists that are in Ukraine or in Russia that are talking about this, that just talking about this gets you put on the list. So it is very, it is actually very concerning. And here is an example of it. And the reason why this is being brought up is because, uh, for example, the current webpage designs displays the date of the, this uh, displays info about the Russian journalist Daria Dugina, daughter of the philosopher Alexander, who was brutally killed in a car crash. So because she was on this website, gives them some thought that this group was responsible for it. But of course, they've denied it. But it's not just the the Russians. It's actually, uh, we'll just read this here to give you a bit more context on this whole thing, is that uh, they've, as long as Miro Tavoretz was limiting itself to publishing info on Ukrainian citizens living in Crimea and Donbass, Ukrainian opposition politicians and journalists, and Russian residents and officials, the odious organization went unnoticed in the civilized world. But 
A scandal erupted in 2016 when they published info on employees of a host of media outlets, including the BBC, Reuters, Al Jazeera, AFP, Le Monde, The Guardian, Le Figaro, France 24, El Mundo, CBS News, CNN, Sky News, The Daily Telegraph, The Times, Radio France, Channel 9 Australia, The Associated Press, Japan TV, The Daily Mail, Die Welt, The Washington Post, and New York Times, as well as representatives of human rights Human Rights Watch and many other organizations for quote cooperating with a terrorist and organ uh, with a terrorist organization, it, the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics, and the U.S. State Department spokeswoman Elizabeth Trudeau noted at the time that the U.S. was very concerned about the hacking of a database and publication of personal information about journalists in combat areas. So, this is a a, a very long art a longer article, but that's all we're going to cover there. But just now you know. Ex-Czech president suggests cause of global inflation. The current economic troubles originated long before Russia's military operation in Ukraine. So, yeah, the ex-Czech president says that the issues that led to spiking inflation and to a huge increase in energy prices that we have now originated long before February 24th. That is all we're going to get into because that's Exactly. Self-explanatory. They're just trying to blame Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which arguably shouldn't happen, but it did. And they're just trying to use that in a the 5D geopolitical chess to blame the to, to add justification for the, you know, climate change and, and all basically all of the mistakes, all the things that the elites have done behind the scenes to create this de uh, destable state we're in with the economy. Now they're just trying to blame Russia and throw them under the bus. But there's a lot of leaders, former leaders that are not falling for it. Ex-Russian president names condition for using nukes. Such a scenario would only occur if Russia's very existence was at stake, says Dmitry Medvedev. So I'm, it's okay, let's just, but for my opinion, we'll just read this. He says, there are four reasons for the use of nuclear weapons. For the sake of interest and for the French public, I will name them. The launch of nuclear missiles, the use of nuclear weapons, attacks on critical infrastructure that control nuclear weapons, or other actions that threaten the existence of the Russian state. Uh, yes. So just my personal opinion is that the entire nuke narrative is a false threat because I believe that higher conscious beings have been involved with our geopolitical affairs, making it exopolitical affairs. And they they have showed time and time again that ever since we used nukes the first time, ever since the United States bombed Japan, I don't believe that it's going to be allowed to happen again. Call me naive and some woo-woo whatever, but I, I don't think that there is uh, a legitimate threat for nukes. And all of that is bunch of hullabaloo. South, meanwhile, here the next article is South Korea seals nuclear deal with Russia. Seoul insists the agreement doesn't contra contradict the U.S. sanctions policy. So they've uh, South Korea has clinched a $2.25 billion deal with Russian state nuclear cooperation Rosatom to provide components and, and construct turbine buildings for Egypt's first nuclear power plant. So they're building it in Egypt, but South Korea has got the deal and it's with Russia. Okay. Um, and just on that tangent of nuclear threats being false, the entire narrative of nuclear power plants being unsafe and all that, well, we should reevaluate that because there's a big disinformation campaign 
uh, regarding that concept. And I'm no nuclear expert, but yeah, we'll just uh, leave that there. Next up, uh, now, of course, these are all RT news. So please keep that with a grain of salt. Uh, take it with a grain of salt, because yes, we know that this is the Russian government-backed propaganda outlet. But since we report so much uh, on from the CBC, uh, which is the Canadian government propaganda news outlet, we got to balance things out by showing you what they're talking about in other countries. So, uh, only one in three UN members back new anti-Russia resolution. International support for Ukraine has dropped dramatically since March. May wonder why. Look at that kill list from that website. Like that's that. Ooh, that's disturbing. Not that what Russia is doing in Ukraine is good. I'm not saying that at all. But this is an interesting angle that we really aren't reading from any Western news outlets. Uh, on to the next one. Uh, actually, we're going to end that one there, and we're going to move this here. Okay, so these next three are all about gas. The United European Nation wants to resume buying Russian gas. Bulgaria rethinks its stance after rejecting Moscow's ruble payment demand in April. The Bulgarian government is considering holding talks with energy giant Gazprom in resuming Russian natural gas, imports Energy Minister Hosen Hirstov says. So just th the point is here that European Union poses sanctions on Russia, then they realize, like France and Germany, re and and realizing how uh, how much that's hurting them, and now they're backtracking. Here's another one: NATO members refuses gas discounts to to allies. Oslo will not force its firm to sell energy under fixed price contracts. The petroleum minister says, Norway will not demand that energy companies offer long term fixed price contracts as a way to alleviate soaring costs for European customers. Reuters reports citing the country's petroleum minister Terji Asseland, and that's hilarious. So Norway's like, no, we got to take care of ourselves. We're not going to help our allies. But of course, this is slanted from Russia. So they want, they want the Russia wants the in-house fighting within Europe because Russia doesn't want the want everybody to battle up and target them. Now, here's another one though. The European Union city wants exemption from Russia sanctions, says Reuters. The Hague plans to seek temporary permission from the EU to buy gas from Gazprom. The Hague in the Netherlands has revealed it will ask the European Union to grant it a temporary exemption from anti-Russia sanctions. The city, known as the seal of the International Criminal Court, reportedly wants to keep buying natural gas from Russia, gas giant. So if the if the home of the International Criminal Court is saying, whoa, 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 we well, let's let's be let's not be too hasty about uh posing sanctions on Russia. Let's see what they're let's just see how it goes. If the if the place where the criminal court is actually being held makes you wonder how the international community really feels about the invasion. This is hilarious. Like this is so so funny uh to me because again, it's just the narrative's just not holding up. Uh the narrative is not holding up. And for our final few, our final three articles, and again, thank you so much for being with us today. Russian church is to streamline exorcisms. The proposal makes the right free and limits it to priests and bishops to prevent abuse. 
The Russian Orthodox Church has finalized a draft of rules to regulate the practice of exorcism in the making since 2021. If the draft becomes part of canon law, banishing demons will be a free service, and only priests that and bishops will be allowed to practice it and prevent abuses. Exorcism can only can be performed only in cases of demonic possession and not for persons with mental disorders or diseases or those who feign possession, says the draft document. But now this is getting into pretty uh, controversial territory because who's to say that, oh, that person disagrees with the government, they're possessed. No, 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 I, I don't have a, I just have a mental disorder. It's like, no, 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 you're really possessed because only demons would, would, uh, contradict what the government is saying and so this is you know a two-edged sword it also goes into the idea that the russian government and the church are actually pushing more spirituality and more religion um instead of the that they're trying to preserve national identity as opposed to the globalist agenda and let's just, wow, here the article says, at least two exorcism-related deaths have been reported over the previous decade. <gasps> a nine-year-old boy was gagged and whipped during a 2019 ritual and choked to death. I'm sorry, I should have given you a trigger warning. I didn't realize. And then in 2019, a 25-year-old woman also died after her parents attempted to exercise her. That's, yeah, definitely don't try this at home. Uh, yeah. So the final two, the CIA targets Russians in Turkey, says the media. A U.S. intelligence agent inquired about confidential details of real estate deals, a Turkish paper reports. The Central Intelligence Agency has openly threatened Turkish businessmen for trading with Russia, prying into their real estate deals over concerns about the potential circumvention of U.S. sanctions. The paper has learned that the CIA's Turkey office chief allegedly called high-ranking construction company employees inquiring about transactions and other confidential details of recent real estate purchases involving Russian entities or individuals. According to the report, the CIA officer interviewed businessmen under the guise of monitoring the U.S.-imposed anti-Russia sanctions. And this, yeah, anything that the the Turkish the Turkish government, um, just a little tidbit here. One of my favorite things. This is going back over a year ago when there was the Suez Canal crisis that created a big supply chain shortage. There's a, a Turkish uh, news outlet that was calling that event a uh, a a deep state operation, and he claimed that the globalist groups led by Bill Gates and funding it was actually on that ship was actually some ingredients that were going to poison the land. And that ship that was stalled in the Suez Canal was was stopped by the Turkish deep state and uh, allies of other nationalistic deep state players. Now, that was a very fascinating idea to me. And made me look more into Turkey. And Turkey actually is a very, very powerful country geopolitically. We they're they're kind of a, a wild card with all of this. And so the yeah, that's that's all we'll get into there. But I'm very fascinated with uh, anything that Turkey does in the world stage because they're very, very powerful. And they don't get talked about uh, often enough. Just going back to the Ottoman Empire for an example. Okay, and the final article for today, how Ukraine turns cheap tablets into lethal weapons. 
the Army SOS, an activist-led NGO, converts Android-based tablets into smart units with automated precision guidance. Wow. So just goes to show you that the technology, the funding, weapons, where's all the money going that they're sending over to Ukraine and Russia? It's all about weapons and, and war and all that. And sure, it can be impressive technology, but I really, really don't like that everything, the first case scenario is always about how to make it a weapon. And that genuinely makes me sad and frustrated. Even if they say that the tablet can also save lives, maybe they can do that. But yeah. Anyway, I know that that's not the 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 best note to be ending on, but that's just how I I structured things today. So just to remind you that it is August thirty first. This was Kraken Report two forty one from Generation Z. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you have a great day. And leave your comments below. Let us know how you how we're how we're doing. Uh, let me know if there's any new stories you want us to cover. Give me give some specific focus. Again, thank you so much from the bottom of uh, my heart, from the bottom of Dave's heart. You know he's with us in spirit every time we do a recording. And have a great day. See you all very soon.